the Lord just uh, put uh, an exhortation to share with everybody today. And I started listening to the song. I, I said to Adam or TJ, I said, I spent more time listening to the song than really preparing, you know, in the word, because it says it all. So I thought, well, we'll just do that song before we start, because it says it all. And he has no rival. He has no equal. I love that. And yet, his desire is that would we would be with him. His desire is that we would always lean on him and attach ourselves to him. And I can never say it enough, and he can never say it to me enough. But what a privilege, the last day of 2017, to lift up the name of Jesus. We have so much to be grateful for, so much. Even if you had a, a bad year or, or a year of hiccups or a good year, Tony said he hates to see it to go. But God's going to do more for him and, and more. He never stops for, for any of us. We are his bride. We need to understand that we are his bride. You know, Mariah and John are preparing to get married, and they understand probably more than anybody what it means to be a bride and a groom. We can never forget that, that he is the bridegroom. His name is Jesus. He's above every single name. And sometimes we just need to stand and proclaim those things because it, it stirs our heart. It makes us come alive again. It makes the, the veil of doubt and fear fall. You know, the scales fall, fall from our eyes, and the wax falls out of our ears. And, and we thought, how could I have forgotten that, right? We need to proclaim his name over, over each other all the time. So we get to praise his name and lift it up. And the reason he wants us to praise his name and lift it up is after we see who he is, then we can go start proclaiming his name in 2018, like we've been doing, but to a greater dimension. Because when we praise him, we will proclaim him. We can't help it. It's hard. You know, I, I say this all the time. I, I know my husband thinks I, I talk a lot, but I don't really think I do talk a lot. But when it comes to the one things I talk a lot, I actually, I have to stop here and say, Adam and I were talking about the things of God, of course, and we were just sharing the Lord the other night. And so then Dawn goes, she's not talking, she's on her phone, she's knitting, whatever she's doing. We're just talking, talking, talking. And so then Dawn says, well, we thought she was a, it was a serious question. She goes, you know on, on YouTube when you can click that button to see how much farther you have to go? We go, yeah. She goes, sometimes I wish there was a button when you two are talking. <laughs> like, how much longer can you go on? I thought that was kind of harsh. But it was kind of funny. But it's true. You can't stop talking about him, can you? You just can't stop. Can't stop praising his name. So I want to share a little bit today about how he sees us, what he thinks of us. And again, I say this all the time, it's nothing that you don't know. But before we leave 2017 and enter into 2018, wouldn't it be an awesome time for us to just consecrate our hearts again to the knowledge and the power of Jesus Christ our King, right? Wouldn't it be wonderful just to dwell on him for the short time we have together that we can carry him into the next year? And the next year, really, the Lord, he's filled with promises, but he never promises that it's going to be an easy road. <laughs> he never does. And there are times it's going to be hard in 2018, maybe personally, maybe in the church, maybe community-wise, or maybe nationally, which I would not be surprised. But in it all, and through all those things, he's faithful to us, and he will never, ever leave us or forsake us. When he said that, he means that he doesn't, get, he doesn't divorce us. He'll let us go, but he's always married to us. He never, ever leaves us. So we were speaking last season on Tuesday night about the names of God, um, and it's so awesome to 
to just sit around and speak about his faithfulness, how he's a God who sees, how he's a God who hears, how he's a God of power and might. It stirs your faith. But I wanted to end and didn't have a chance to, so I'm going to today. And with the name of Jesus Christ. It's so um, innumerable. There's no way I can cover it. But I want to just focus on one piece of who he is, and that's the bridegroom. And I just want to share around that, that we have a great God. He's worthy to be praised. And I'm going to really try to stick to my notes, too, because John's going to bring, uh, we're going to have communion today. And I'm going to do something different and stick to my notes. He's the creator of all, and he never ceases, think about this, to intercede for us. He never stops crying out to God for us. When we're distracted with the things of the world, he's constantly seeking the Father's face for us. Think about that. The sights and sounds of heaven are continual. There's so much to see. There's so many sounds, but we don't hear those things because sometimes we're planted too much in the things of this world. Isaiah 40, 25 says, To whom then will you liken me that I should be his equal? That's God speaking. He says the Holy One. And then he says to them, but lift up your eyes. He knows that we aren't able all the time to see fully, but he's constantly saying, come up here, open your eyes. I want you to see and I want you to envision the love I have for you. Because hopefully if we grab hold of the love he has for us, then we respond in love, right? We always do. We love him because he first loved us. He melts our stony heart. I know if of anybody, I probably have the stoniest heart, and he's, he's melted my heart and turned me into a new creation, as, as he has all of you. He's a powerful God, and he is through all the books. It's, it's really sad that the Pharisees couldn't see who he was. They had the word of God, which is powerful in their hands, and yet because they were looking for something else, they couldn't see the Christ in the midst of them. Even though he... He was showing them miracles, signs, and wonders. They couldn't grab hold of who he was because the head knowledge got in the way of the spirit man who just said, yes, I don't understand it. I don't understand that you would come looking like that. I don't understand why you were born like that. I understand why you, you came to us in this way, but I know that I know that he is, he is Messiah. And how sad it is that many times we can miss him. And he's saying, I believe for 2018, don't miss me because I am in the midst of you. I'm a bridegroom that's coming for his bride. And I'm not saying he's coming for his bride like the rapture. I'm saying he's coming to help us. He's coming to free us. He's coming to deliver us. He will never, ever stop. I don't care what our victories have been in the past. He is constantly looking for ways to bring greater testimonies to our life. We never arrive. There's always a deeper revelation of who he is. And that deeper revelation is less of us and more of him. So in Psalm 48, 7 through 8, it says, Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will. O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. Paul quotes the same in Hebrews 10.7 when he says, in the role of the book, it is written of me, speaking of Jesus Christ. He's key. He's in every single book that we read, and sometimes we miss him. We find him easily when we read books like Ruth. We know that he was Boaz, but he unlocks the whole book. He is the key to all things, and the Pharisees, and sometimes us, if we could have seen that he is the essence of life of all things, how much different their lives would have been. So every detail in the Bible is, is um, pointing to Jesus Christ. 
I come in the volume of the books. He came to fulfill every prophecy, every typology and shadow revealed in the Old Testament. When Christ came, we hear from his own lips constantly such statements as this, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. As the scriptures have said, it is written. All of this reveals that his whole life was conducted in line with the written word of God. He's in everything. And if he's in everything, why? Because he wants to possess us. It's mind-boggling, isn't it? It's amazing to me that he desires us so much. It's easy for us to lose desire, but he never loses desire. It just burns even more. You know, God's a multiplier. We like to use that for the blessing of God. But for his own heart, he's a multiplier in the love he has for us. He knows we sin. He knows we fall. But his heart continues to burn. So, and even the spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit who has given us, the great counselor, even his purpose was to glorify the Son. I was thinking about this when I was when I was reading this, you know, many times in the churches, you know, today, some of the churches, they magnify the man or the church, and some even magnify the gifts. You know, gifts are good. God gave us the gifts. We're going to see healing signs and wonders. But the Spirit of God himself made himself nothing. He magnifies Jesus Christ. He's not looking for the gifts to be magnified. He's not looking for the blessings to be magnified. It's all about Jesus. John 16, 13 says, When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, and he will not speak on his own initiative. He's God. Isn't that amazing? He yields so that he can glorify the king. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. That's the privilege we have when we come into his throne. He will disclose to us, but we have to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine, and he will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he takes of mine, and he discloses it to you. That's the kind of king we have. It's kind of like a Cinderella story, if you think about it, because this king is our bridegroom. This king is our bridegroom. He's, our, he's not just our savior. He becomes our king, and greater than that, he becomes our bridegroom. We get saved through the Savior, we bow down to the King, we yield to him, we follow his ways, and then he becomes our bridegroom. And yet for us, it's not a fairy tale. It's true life. <laughs> All you have to do is look at your life to see how far you've come. That's how you know that it's real. You don't have to prove it to anybody else. He just proves it to us. You look back at your life. You, sometimes people look through the years and, they're, and uh, they're regretful. And I understand, you know, sometimes we do, but we sometimes have to snap out it and say, but God, you've done so much for me. You've done so much for my family, and you're not going to stop. You're going to continue. You're going to multiply. You're going to burn in the hearts of my grandsons. It's never going to stop. He's a powerful God. So um, when we declare him and magnify his name above all else, he shows up in amazing ways. We don't always understand it, but he shows up in, in, in amazing ways. He calls himself the bridegroom. In John 3, 29, he refers, he, he refers to Christ as the bridegroom. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. He was saying, listen, this isn't my church. These aren't my people. I am just preparing them for the true bridegroom. And that's what we all do when we share Jesus Christ. None of us are anything, really. He loves us, and we're something that way. Don't get me wrong. But Adam and Dawn, they know this is not their church. These are not their people. We have, there's a job to do to prepare the, the bride to just see the king. When people start seeing you, I remember reading a biography on Smith Wigglesworth. It's a tough name to say. And uh, towards the end of his life, he was getting all these letters. And they were asking him to come because he, he had a great uh, healing anointing on his life. And so um, 
the man who was with him in his house. He's having coffee and he's reading this pile. He brings in this pile of letters and they're all asking him to come. And he's reading some of them and he says to his friend, he goes, I fear, he goes, that it's my time to leave this earth because now they're looking to me, Smith, and they're not looking to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We can't let that happen. And very shortly after, the Lord took him home. It wasn't a punishment. His heart was the same way. God forbid that they, remember Peter and Paul, or Peter, silver and gold, we don't have anything. All we have is the name is Jesus Christ. He's all we need. You know, we could, that's what's so awesome about this. You know, you can be just so simple. You don't have to be so intelligent. All I have is Jesus Christ. I know what he's done for me, and I know what he'll do for you. And when you say those simple words, mountains shake. The scales fall off people's eyes. They walk away. They might not realize that a mountain has fallen from them, but the, it's going to produce life every single time, and that's where our faith lies. Not in the emotion. Abraham was a man of faith, not emotion. He believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. We need to constantly believe him. In Matthew 9, 15, Jesus said to him, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as he's with them. He re he's referring to himself. He's saying, I'm the bridegroom. I came as an engagement. We gave our heart to Jesus Christ. That was the engagement, right? Then he leaves. And as soon as you give your heart to him, he's preparing something for you. In the Old Testament, the Jewish ceremonies was, that's what the bridegroom did, right? You got engaged, and then you split for a while. The bride prepared herself for however long it took, and the groom went and prepared a place. But his eyes and his heart were always for his bride. Um, Job 7.17 says, I just want to read some scriptures that point out how much he is constantly thinking of us. You know, sometimes we think he's just busy, you know, building galaxies, and that's true. I love that song. You know, he speaks and galaxies appear. I think that's an awesome song. Uh, I think you sang it this morning, didn't you? For practice, maybe next week we'll hear it. And so in the song, they're saying, I'm going to praise you. If the galaxies can praise you, I'm going to praise you. If the stars can sing out to you, God forbid and forgive me if I let them sing and I don't sing. Right? So they're magnifying. And so sometimes we think he's just busy. I told you before, I used to think angels didn't like us. I just thought they were like soldiers and had to. They had to you know, minister to us and help us. And I really believe they didn't really care for us. And it's just a mindset. We get stuck in this mindset. We don't realize the kingdom of God is love. And everybody in it is filled with love. They get excited. And it wasn't until I had a dream about one being excited that I saw that they actually liked us. So sometimes we have a wrong mindset. He is constantly producing and bringing life to us, his bride. So Job 7.17 says, what is man that you magnify him and that you're even concerned about him? Isaiah 43, 4, since you are precious in my sight, since you have honored, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in place and other people in exchange for your life. That is a powerful statement. Think about that. Not too long, but that's pretty powerful. Psalm 139, 3 says, you scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. I've said before, I really hate that song, um, From a Distance. He's watching us from a distance, you know? It's nice to sing, you know, it's kind of folky. He's not watching us from a distance. He scrutinizes our path. He sees what our needs are. The word says he goes before us, and he's our rear guard. He's constantly looking for ways to get us. We miss plan A, we miss plan B, and he's always there taking us back to where we have to be. He's always doing that for us. We just don't recognize it. When we get to heaven, we're going to spend eternity watching those things that he's done for us. We're going to be like, Lord, I didn't even know. So 
um, Isaiah 54, 5 says, For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. Isn't it so true? That's who our God is. He's our redeemer. He's the God of all. But he says he's our husband or groomsman. He's the bridegroom. Um, I want to read Isaiah 49. says here, I remember once the Lord put this on my heart this morning. Um, our children are probably the most precious to us. And we do anything for them. We won't leave them. We, won't, we say we won't leave them. We won't forsake them. But in our humanness, sometimes... We're like, I've had it with you, <laughs> right? And I remember there was a day that I was thinking, I've had it with you. Dawn was like four or something, I don't know. The whole day was going bad. It wasn't just Dawn. <laughs> but never, ever, ever would I just like leave her, you know. She was always with me, right? She was always, always with me wherever I was. I mean, poor Dawn was always with me. Uh, I wouldn't even trust anybody else to watch her usually except for my mother-in-law. She was always with me. So I was one of those kinds of moms, you know. I still kind of am. Um, but... This one day, I was having a bad day in all kinds of, you know, all areas. And I just thought, I just got in the car, I left. I left her with my mother, and I just thought, I'm just not coming. I was just so fed up. First, I had a temper tantrum, and I have to say, in the bathroom. I threw everything on the floor, and I broke it. And uh, when I got home, everything that was on the floor, only my stuff broke. I remember Jimmy's didn't even break. <laughs> but in that state, in that state of saying, Lord, forgive me, how could I have, you know, forgotten? I opened up to the scripture. And that's why it means so much to me. It's so powerful. Uh, but, but Zion said, or we can put our name there, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. And then he says this, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? And prior to that day, I would have said, no, there's no way I would forget my daughter. I wouldn't just leave her behind. But I realized that even at that moment, I really didn't even care. Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. This is him speaking to us. He says, Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands, and your walls are continually before me. Isn't that powerful? Continually. We think he doesn't see it. He's constantly reading that book. Your walls are continually, your petitions are constantly before me. They're right in my hand where the scars are. Your builders hurry, your destroyers are devastated, and devastators will depart from you. Lift up your eyes. Again, that's what he says. Lift up your eyes and see who I am. And look around. All of them gather together. They come to you as I live, declares the Lord. You will put them on as jewels and bind them as a bride. For your waste and desolate places and your destroyed land. Surely now there will be too cramped for the inhabitants. And those who swallowed you will be far away. That's a testimony. That's a testimony for what he does in our life. The devastators come. They try, to, they try to take us down. They try to weary us. They try to rob us of our joy. But he's like, don't let it happen. Clean up the bathroom now and know that my, your walls are before me, and I'm going to answer you. I hear your cry. And in times to come, he did. He answered all those prayers. And he still answers prayers, and he never stops. But what's left for me, I wear those testimonies as an adorned bride. I'll never stop shouting what he's done for me. Those things that were on his hands, and then when he answered those prayers, I just used it for my wedding garb, and I'm always going to have it, and when I stand before the king, I'm going to be able to give it to him as a great gift for what he's done for me. And all of us do that, and none of us can stop. He's our bridegroom, dressed in his glorious best. The reason I even brought this um, to us is because last um, prayer meeting on a Friday night, which everybody should come to, by the way, it's so so awesome just to be in the presence of God. They've been so, they've been so powerful. 
When I say powerful, you have an encounter with the Lord, um, something solid, right? So I was over here, and I was just, you know, trying to sing. And all of a sudden, I, you know, I just see the bridegroom coming. But I didn't just see him coming. I saw him dressed like I've never seen in a heart filled with burning desire. And, you know, there was a song. I was playing it uh, for Jimmy. I wanted to play it today. But um, the versions were way too long. And there was no newer versions. But if you remember the song, he has fire in his eyes and a sword in his hand. And he's riding a white horse all across the land. Dan would know it. And he's shouting out to you and me, will you ride with me? Remember that one? But he had fire in his eyes and a sword in his hand. He was decked out for war, and yet he was decked out for love. That's our savior. That's our bridegroom. That's who he is. And he burns for us. And sometimes we don't even see that. We don't see that burning desire that he has for us. And I saw that, and it just really kind of broke me. I wanted to share it, but I couldn't even speak. One of those you know, embarrassing times when you cry. But it says here about the Lord, he's constantly thinking about us. He is intimately knows us and how precious is his thoughts towards us. They are as vast, they are so vast that if I counted them, they would outnumber the sand. And when I read that about the sand, I love to look at the beach. I don't really like to be on the beach because you take the sand home and it never leaves you. It's always there. You find it in your pocketbook, you find it in the car, you find it in your shoes. I find it in the bag of my metal detector. Uh, it's everywhere. It never leaves you. There's so much of it that you can never get rid of every grain. And see, that's how we are on him. He's like, and he doesn't mind the sand. He doesn't mind the grit because he loves us so much. He, you cannot, he does not ever wipe us off, ever. He's so faithful to the end. So when I saw him like that, I heard, you know, as only the Lord can, can do, I heard him say, do you see what I see and do you hear what I hear? And it's Christmas season. How cool is that? He's so wonderful. Do you hear what I hear and do you see what I see? And I remember, I laughed because I remember telling somebody at work, I've said this before, um, I always confuse names of songs. I don't know who the writers are. I'm really bad at paying attention to those things. I know the words. I just don't know. So I said, oh, we're talking about Christmas songs. I said, you know what song really makes me cry is Little Drummer Boy. They go, really? Little Drummer Boy makes you cry? I go, yeah, how can you not cry through Little Drummer Boy? Well, it wasn't Little Drummer Boy. It was, do you see what I see? And do you hear what I hear? Because you can imagine how they were when they saw the shepherds saw the coming. The angel stood, actually said, stood next to them. They didn't just hear it in the atmosphere. Stood right next to him and spoke to them. Their lives were changed forever. Forever. And when that happens, it's hard to hold back the tears. It's hard to hold back that emotion. It's overwhelming for what he's done for us. But he flipped it to me because we see, and when we see, we have a testimony, and then we start proclaiming. But he was saying to us as a bride, do you see what I see? Do you hear what I hear? Do you see the beauty of the Lord inside of you? Do you see that trial removing? Do you hear the devastation of the enemy running from you? Do we see the kingdom of God coming upon us? Can we see that? And I had to say, no, I don't see it, but I, I want to see it more. And the more we share around it, and that's his heart, he wants us to see that he is a, a bridegroom that's coming with a sword and fire in his eyes. And the line to that song was, the fire in his eyes is his love for his bride. Look it up when you go home. It's a long one. But that fire in his eyes, it's worth, it's worth hearing the song just for that one line. And I don't want to mess it up. I'm going to sing it. Not really, but I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it to you right now. We can never forget. I have sliding papers here. 
still sliding. He has fire in his eyes and a sword in his hand. He's riding a white horse all across the land. It really is a country song. And calling out to you and me, will you ride with me? And then he says that fire in his eyes is his love for his bride, and he's longing that she be with him right by his side. That fire in his eyes is his burning desire that his bride would be with him right by his side. That's enough. That's all we have to say. His desire is for us. His desire is for us to be with him. And he said, do you see what I see? Seeing the beauty of the Lord causes the scales to fall from our eyes, doesn't it? When we see him, it happened to Paul. I know he had scales on his eyes, but how many times in the word of God, I'm going to read uh, two stories, what happens is they couldn't quite see, and they couldn't quite hear. Times of devastation, they just didn't know. But all of a sudden, the king shows up, and everything is clear, right? All of a sudden, it's that aha moment. And that's what he wants us to understand. He has a zeal for us that will never stop burning. It will never stop burning. Even the coals and the fire in the throne will never stop burning. His heart will always be ablaze. I remember when my, I was, I think, maybe 10 years old when my grandmother died. And um, I don't know, they just, you know, a lot of cousins and stuff like that. I never even thought, you know, you're 8, 9, 10 years old. You're not looking for an inheritance for sure. I certainly wasn't, or even my family never had anything anyway. <laughs> But I remember somebody gave me, they wanted me to have something on my grandmother's. And I didn't appreciate it then because I thought it was like so religious, but it was a planter. And uh, everybody knows now I can't grow anything or keep it alive. But it was a planter. I wish I still had it. And it was, you know how they show uh, Jesus with the burning heart? And I thought, I wish I had it today, not for a religious artifact, but that's his heart. It burns all the time. And so when I thought back of it, I said, Lord, that was a perfect gift to have for my grandmother, looking at it this way now. So seeing the beauty of the Lord causes the scale to fall from our eyes. Seeing his passion in his heart leaves, us, leaves a burning passion in our hearts, his bride. It causes the veil to drop from our eyes, and we begin to understand and function clearly. We begin to burn with zeal as we see his zeal. We hear clearly just by looking at the bridegroom who's looking for us with longing eyes. Be aware that you are betrothed to the Lord, and don't forget he is actively making a home for you, actively preparing things in your life. He goes before you. He is your rear guard. He's delivered you. He'll deliver you again. Right? He started to work in you. He's not going to stop till it's finished. He's relentless. He'll never, ever stop. The road to Emmaus. Um... If you want to look that up, I didn't put the reference down. <laughs> it could be Luke 4. I'm really not sure if anybody knows. I'll just read it. Is it Luke 4? Can you look it up? Because I think I want to put it up there. I want to read. It seems like a, a long two paragraphs, but I need to read it. I know it starts at verse 13, and I know it's in the New Testament. <laughs> Luke, Matthew. What is it? 24. Okay, verse 13. And when I read this, put yourself in their place. This is what the Lord is saying to us today. I really, truly, truly, truly believe that we're going to have times like they had. Um, and that we need to just understand that we don't have to stay there. And behold, two of them, two of his disciples, Jesus Christ had just been crucified. They're devastated, right? 
and these and these two were actually leaving Jerusalem. Isn't that what happens? Something happens and we, we hit the road. We're done. We're gone. So behold, two of them were going that very day to the village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which, which had taken place. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing them. And I just want to stop there because every time I've ever read this story, I was thinking that the Lord prevented them from seeing. But there's no proof that he prevented them. They were just so devastated. They were so destroyed. Haven't you ever been to the place where you're just so devastated? You're so broken. Somebody comes to you with a word from the Lord. You can't even receive it. You don't even see it. You don't, you know, you get to that place. So I do not believe that the Lord prevented them at all from seeing him. I think the circumstances of the day caused them for seeing. And that's why he's saying, do you see what I see? Just erase those things. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one, one another as you're walking? And they stood still, looking sad, or grimmed face, dejected, downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only visitor um, visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was him who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all these things, it's the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us, some woman among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a visions of angels and that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the woman had said, but they did not see him. Isn't it amazing? They were spoken, they were told, they were given the good news, but they were so dejected, so downcast, they just couldn't see it. You would think the Lord would be like, okay, you want to leave town, leave town. I tried to get it through to you, but you wouldn't listen. He runs to catch up with them and walks with them, just so their hearts would burn again. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets had spoken, what was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he was going to go farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us. They still don't know it's him. They still are so downtrodden they don't know it's him. Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in. So he went in to stay with them, but he had reclined at the table. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, my favorite scripture in the whole Bible, truly my favorite, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road while he was explaining the scripture to us? And they got up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found gathered together the eleven of those who were, who were saying the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experience on the road, and he, that he, they recognized him when they took the breaking of bread. They finally saw it. The Lord's relentless. He's going to keep speaking it to us and speaking it to us and speaking it to us. He's going to say, don't fear, I'm with you. Listen to the testimonies of your sisters and your brothers. When they say, I reign, believe that I do. Let your heart burn again. But even if you are so in a state of devastation, 
He doesn't forsake you. He'll still come to you over and over and over again till your heart burns. And then what happened? When they saw what he saw, they could start proclaiming who he was. They had to see, they had to have the scales fall off. They had to see him for who he is. And once those scales off, they fell off, they turned around and went right back to where they should have stayed the whole time. They went back to Jerusalem. He gets us back on track. We know the story about Hagar. I won't go through the whole thing, but in Genesis chapter 16, she gets a promise because Sarah is really kind of a cruel uh, mistress, master, whatever you call her. And so, so Hagar gets upset and she just leaves. She just leaves and she runs away. And when she runs away, the angel of the Lord comes to her and he gives her a promise. And he says, you're with child and he gives her a promise about this child. Well, 10 or so more years later, the story picks up in uh, Genesis um, oh, 21. I think it's 21. If you put it up there, don't worry. Uh, verse 14, oh, she's sent out again. Now now they want her out of town because they have a son and they want her out. They want to get rid of her. And Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread, <clears throat> verse 14, and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder and gave it to the boy and sent her away. It was really big of him, wasn't it? And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was used up, she left the boy under a bush, and she went and sat down opposite to him about a bow away, a bow shot away. For she said, do not let me see the boy die. She'd forgotten the promise. We all forget the promise, don't we? And she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. But it says God heard the lad crying. He heard his promise. Isn't it funny? He doesn't say that he heard Hagar crying. He heard his promise crying out to him. He made a promise and he was going to keep it. God heard the lad crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter with you? Now, I like to say it like that. He might have said, what is the matter, Hagar? But I like to him, I think he said, what's the matter with you? What the heck, you know? What is the matter with you? But probably not. Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. He tells him the promise again. The, the promise is told to her again. He doesn't get tired of telling us. He just wants us to see it. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went to and filled the skin with water and gave him a drink. Her eyes weren't open till she could see him. That's my point. In 2018, we need to draw away and be with the Lord. We need to put aside the distractions. We need to maybe put the phone down sometimes, the TV off, whatever it is that we do. I know for myself, sometimes I just sit on, on my new couch in the back room. Jimmy, you can tell you, I just sit there. <laughs> I just stare at my Christmas tree right now. But you know, even that could be a waste of time. The distractions, the things that, he wants us to enjoy everything, don't misunderstand me. But we have to make time for the king. We have to make time for our bridegroom. He's coming for a bride made ready. So she saw, she heard, and after she heard, that's why she named the place El Roi, if you remember, a God who sees. She said, he's a God who sees. She, has, for she said, I have seen the one who sees me. God is our vision. We want to see the one who sees us. So he's asking, do you see what I see in the impossibilities of your life? Don't you see that I am able to penetrate the doubt and the pain? Turn your doubts to faith. Can you see my kingdom coming upon you? My hands on your children's heart, on the hearts of those who are bound up, your loved ones being embraced and free from the enemy's lies. Do we see freedom, see deliverance? 
See rebellion in your children and those around you turning to cries of repentance. Sometimes we think things are too hard, but they are not too hard for him. He says, I want you to see the rebellion being turned to the cries of repentance. When you look at me, the mighty, mighty warrior in your midst, who loves you with a covenant commitment, see your children evangelized by me. You know, the word says, I used to hold on to it all the time, your children will be taught by the Lord. It doesn't say of the Lord. It says your children will be taught by the Lord. That means when they sleep, when they, wherever they are where you can't be, he's evangelizing them. His hand is upon their heart. We don't have to worry. We might go through a little distress while we're waiting for that. But he will evangelize your children. He wants us to hear that sound. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love, and he will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. He's not a quiet God. That's what he wants us to hear. He wants us to hear the shouts from his kingdom. And there are so much more for us than there are against him, against us. Myriads and myriads and myriads of angels, and even those who have passed on, guess what? They are seeking God's face that we would run the race to the end. That's pretty exciting. Our union as a bride and a bridegroom will produce my kingdom here on earth. Isn't it true? When we come into his chambers, it's going to produce life, right? The same way a couple produces children. When we come into his chambers and we listen to the king, when we listen to our bridegroom, we understand he, he, he actually, if I could use this word, he impregnates us to help others, to give life to others. He gives us true seed. Not the, not the words of the Pharisees, but real life. We don't want to be like a Pharisee. We're going to seek him, and we're going to have life beyond measure. He's such a mighty God. I can't say it enough. I want to end with just this one. Oh, no, hold on. Sorry. Am I going too long? Um, First, First Thessalonians. For the, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with a voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive will be left. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet him in the, Lord, in the, in the air. And so we will ever and always be with the Lord. Not everyone will hear that sound. We need to understand that. Not everyone's going to hear that sound. So the more we come into his throne room, we can, we can be assured we're not going to be that 50% that was left behind. We want to be the other five virgins that heard him, was ready, and we're moving on. Colossians 1.13, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. We need to understand that's what we need to see. We live in his kingdom. We've been planted into a kingdom of light. The darkness is gone. They'll make you feel dark. They might, might make you feel dark. They'll put worries. They'll put fear on you. The demonic world is always working. But we need to come back to this word. Psalm 91 says, because he has loved me. This is what he's looking for in a bride. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. This is the end of Psalm 91 where the Lord's speaking now. And I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him, and I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. That word, because he has loved me, means to be attached. Isn't that awesome? You're going to stay attached to him. He doesn't want you to let go. He wants you to be dependent on him, totally attached to him, pressing into him, desiring him. Um, because he has set his love upon me. 
has become attached to me, has united himself with me, and he is my friend. The Hebrew word expresses the strongest attachment and is equivalent to our expression to fall in love. See, it's all about the relationship. And this is what I want to end it with, with do you hear? Lord, the Lord just put it on my heart really quickly this morning because I, I said, Lord, we need to hear your voice. We need to hear all those things. And then he put this on my heart because there are some people who think that they can't, um, they can't really love God like they used to. They don't pursue him like they used to. And sometimes the enemy uses that for a trap. You know, you think I'm going to pray and you don't pray. I'm going to seek him and then you don't seek him. And you go through this cycle over and over and over again. You think it's impossible. And in that impossibility that you feel and you sense, what happens is the enemy comes and condemns you with it, right? And then it's the same cycle over and over and over again. Well, this will break that cycle because this is what God hears. Um, The vision of the valley of dry bones. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He caused me to pass among them and round about them, and behold, there was very many of them on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. (laughs) Sometimes we feel like that, right? They were very, very dry. He said to me, son of man, man, can these bones live? And I love how he answers. I think he felt the same as we do sometimes. And I answered, oh, Lord God, only you know. He didn't really have a lot of faith right there. Again, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. See, that's what I'm saying. We need to proclaim his name over each other. When we start this fast uh, tomorrow or the next day, we want to proclaim his name over each other. That's what we're doing. We're proclaiming him. We're speaking his life over people. It seems ridiculous, really, because we're just saying it and you don't see anything. But what God is, what you're going to see the result of is the sounds that God is saying that we are going to hear. Prophesy over them. Prophesy over these bones and say, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you will come alive. I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, that you may come alive, and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. It had to be so noisy. It was millions of bones. And I looked, and behold, the sinews were on them, flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy breath. So we never stop prophesying, speaking in our prayer time over the lives of people. Those who we think are impossible over ourselves. You prophesy, Lord, the the living word of God over us is going to cause us to come alive. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and on these slain that they come to life. You know what? Because you are really slain. You're like a POW in the camp of the enemy sometimes when you feel like you can't get back to that place you once were in God. That's a POW. They were slain. So I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came to them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Isn't that awesome? We can believe today that that's what God's going to do for us. All he's asking for us, um, TJ's going to come and and, uh, play a song. I believe he said yes. What's the name of it again? Reckless Love. The reason we're going to, before we take communion, we're going to just listen to this song. And I was thinking how uh, many times uh, married couples renew their vows.
And it's not because their license ran out. It's because they just want to say to each other again, listen, you've been with me all these years, and I, I so appreciate what God has done in our life. And so they renew that love to each other, saying, even now that we're older and getting old, my life is yours. Your life is mine. It's a beautiful thing, right? Well, how much more beautiful do we renew our heart to Jesus Christ, our bridegroom, the lover of our soul? Because he's saying to us, listen, there's sights and sounds that you don't see and you don't hear, but you're going to hear them. Just keep coming into the chambers. Keep coming into that place. And this song talks about his amazing love for us. We could have played a song that committed our heart to him, but to hear how he loves us naturally makes us want to give, give ourselves to him, right? So as he plays it, just stand up, give your heart to the Lord, say, I just renew my life to you as I never have before. And then when we take communion, know that he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. What he started in you, he's going to finish. Every miracle that unfolds, he's planned it already. And it's not going to stop because we doubt. He's going to keep doing it because his love is relentless. Hello. All right. So I'm not like uh, like Jeannie or, or Adam. I cannot speak for hours. You know, all my life I've been told you don't speak enough. So you don't have to worry. We are not going to be here all day. <laughs> but, um, so Adam, Adam told me not to prepare anything. We're just going to have a communion. But um, I, I was like um, um, impressed, like by um, by Jeannie about that uh, look on thirty about the bread. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, this this came uh, came about now that uh, that's when we break the bread, they open our eyes, you know. So that's what we have uh, we have to see, and um, we are. We have to be so thankful for what he did for us, you know. Like me, I can, I can summarize everything. So when I, when we speak or um, when my wife talks, she can speak for for hours. I can tell you the same thing in two two, two minutes. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm always amazed like she can spend so much time on the phone. So but so me, I can summarize like the Bible. It's just Jesus died for you, you know. That's all you have to know. He died for you so you can have eternal life. That's all you need to know. That's that's it. <laughs> no. So we want we come here to, to thank him today and to, to recognize what he did for us. So we are going to eat the bread. Like he said in his word, he said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of you. Lord, we thank you and we remember you. In the same manner, he took the cup, the cup of the new covenant in his blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for for what you did this year. And thank you for the, all the things you are going to do in the new year, Lord, because 
with you there is no no time. You're always there. You you were here all this year and you are already here in 2018. Thank you, Lord.